So we've been talking about this uh, series, Fully Man, for quite a while now. I think we started, well, well over a year ago, I guess. This is lesson 11, so that would be 11 months worth. We haven't met every month, so uh, I think uh, there's only one more lesson in this series. The, the what this series is, is my own uh, development of uh, what you might call a biblical theology of humanity or biblical anthropology, sometimes it would be called. That is, if we understand what uh, Scripture teaches, what does it say is a human being? <laughs> Uh, what does it mean to be a human being according to Scripture? And so now we've come a long ways, and I, I, I've forgotten, you know, the earlier stuff. I'd have to go read the notes again. To, uh, but it, the whole thing is grounded in Genesis chapter 1, where God says to himself, basically, uh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we've talked about what image and likeness mean. We've talked about uh, how, we've talked about the fall and what that has done to distort uh, image and likeness in humanity. We spent several weeks talking about Jesus because what we have in Jesus is the only fully realized human being. <laughs> I, I remember in a seminary class many, many years ago, uh, something that just hit me between the eyes. Uh, the professor said, uh, well, what you have in Jesus is perfect humanity. He's more human than we are. And we tend to, in, especially in modern evangelical understandings, we tend to so emphasize the divinity, the deity of Christ, that he's fully God, that we have, we have lost track a little bit of his full humanity. And uh, you, you can, your, your whole system can get out of balance if you let that happen. So we spent several weeks talking about Jesus and how he is uh, perfect humanity. In fact, he's the only, so far, perfect human being. Uh, so, now we're coming to the conclusion of our series, and we want to talk about, well, so, what, how does this operate in our own lives as human beings? Uh, and what we... We, we are just starting at the top of the page here with uh, these three basic assertions, propositions. Uh, and many months ago, we noticed that likeness, that word in the Old Testament, is really a reflecting our, our relation to God, our vertical relationships with God. And image is about how that is reflected 
in the world around us, our horizontal relationships, uh, our relation to one another. What we might notice here is that humanity in the Bible is defined in terms of fellowship. Defined. What makes us human is our relations. Uh, Robert Jensen, who's a Lutheran theologian, uh, says it like this, human beings are the praying animals. If you ask what is the image of God in man, that's his answer to the question is, we are created in relation to God, in personal relation to God. Now, all creation, of course, has a relation to God, but we're created to fellowship with God in a unique way. And then that fellowship with God is reflected in our fellowship with one another and our relation to the world. You can see this right there in Genesis chapter 1, where God says, uh, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So we are called to uh, rule in the creation, in our realm of creation. All this is review so far. Because what we want to come back to now is, so now we've gained some understanding of uh, how our own humanity, what humanity is intended to be, how that is realized in Jesus. Now, how will it be realized in us? Today, we're going to talk about how it is realized in us today, in this present sort of in-between world of already our, our salvation is accomplished and it's also not yet fully realized. So uh, in this day and age, how, is this, how should this play out in the life of, the, of a person or in the life of the fellowship of persons? And then next time we're going to talk about, well, the already and the not yet. So how will this be realized in the future? And yeah, so the lesson next week is called uh, now, here and now, or then and there. (laughs) So we'll, but that's next week. So I want to come back to this uh, proposition here. The basic calling of Jesus is follow me. Jesus is, uh, when Jesus invited people, that's what he invited them to do. Follow me. You can see this all over the Gospels. Uh, I've just given you one case in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, what does that tell you he is? He's a fisher of men. Uh, So... I've given you several references here where that is extended into the life of the church after the, you might say, well, that's what Jesus said to John, right? And what he said to Peter or Andrew or those guys. But what, how do we follow him? Well, these, te- these other texts in the New Testament are extend this idea of 
of following, of imitation, if you will, of, we could even use the word mimic. So uh, he does this, we do that. We, we try that. And so in the life of the disciples, you see Jesus say, saying, watch me do this, and now you try it. <clears throat> to, to follow someone in this sense of discipleship is uh, to basically go with them wherever they go and pay attention to what they do and what they say. <laughs> it's kind of like the young Jewish guys following the rabbi. Exactly. It is exactly that. Uh, so, uh, and in the context of the Gospels, that's, that's like the definition of these words. That's what they meant when they said that. Now, there's a couple of hazards here when we say, okay, follow him. The first hazard is, is a hazard of falling into some kind of uh, moralism. And the other hazard is falling into some kind of overwrought pietism. Uh, and the solution to this, these hazards, is... To remember, follow Jesus, Jesus is a whole person. Jesus is not a set of behaviors that you can see, and he, he's not a set of beliefs or feelings or inner emotions or mindsets or fra mental frameworks that you can't see to the exclusion of behavior. He's a human being. He's a whole human being. He's the only whole human being. So uh, this idea of following Jesus has, in fact, tempted all the time uh, many, many Christians to fall into this sort of idea that Christianity is about behaving like Jesus behaved. So the whole what would Jesus do thing is a giant case of this. It's based on a book called In His Steps that was written in the United States in the late 19th century where the author imagines what if us Christians, what if we just determined we won't do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And then he writes a story about what happened when Christians really did that? Wasn't that a true story happening in a parish? I think somewhere. No. <laughs> no. It, it's fiction, and we sh could know it's fiction. Because, of course, Christians all the time have been asking this question, and here's the, here's the problem when I ask this question I don't know the answer. In most cases, what would Jesus do? I cannot determine the answer. And if I could determine the answer, I wouldn't find myself able to do it. So uh, this sort of simple, what I'm calling example moralism, in other words, Jesus would always do the right thing, right? So if I do what Jesus would do, I'll be doing the right thing. That's actually true. 
But the problem, but it has a lot of problems. Also, it entirely misses the point of Christianity, which is not about correcting our moral behavior. It's about restoring life. <laughs> uh, the most important question is not what would Jesus do, but what has Jesus done? which is not something anyone else can do, which is to die for the sins of uh, lost people. So uh, Jesus did live a life of moral perfection, but this is not an example we can follow in our fallen condition. But should, we, should we give up then? Sorry? Should we give up then? Should we give up trying? <laughs> no, no. But we have to, we have to, Start from the right place. That's kind of where we're headed here. So, uh, would, would, would it be a fair summary of those bullet points to say it's not just behavior, but relationship with God and restoration of life? Yeah. It's, relate, it's more of the relationship than behavior. The behavior comes from the relationship. Right. Not the other way around. And is sort of a side effect, not the point. Exactly. So, if we, uh, if we, I, I, I like to illustrate this problem with what would Jesus do by thinking uh, about taking up golf. And uh, if I think in my particular lifetime, who's the golfer I should imitate? Let's say it's Tiger Woods. You pick your favorite. And so I say to myself, I will not swing the club without first asking the question, what would Tiger do? Will that improve my swing? Not because you're not Tiger. <laughs> I'm, ne I'm never going to swing it like he does. So, uh, it might help if it forced me to seriously watch what he's doing and really analyze and break it down and blah, you know. Over time, it might help me improve my golf swing. But here's the other thing. I don't have the same skeleton he has. But in any case, the, the point is, when we say follow him, we mean something more not something less, this is getting to your point, yeah, that not something less than what would Jesus do, but something deeper than what Jesus, what would Jesus do. So to follow or imitate Jesus, we have to pay attention to Jesus as a whole person. What he says and does is a true reflection of his heart, mind, and soul. What happens on the outside is has perfect integrity with what's happening on the inside with Jesus. This is a this is a quality we do not share, right? Like I can behave well, I can act. I can put on a good front. I can be well, it's not entirely dishonest. It might just be polite. 
I don't tell you exactly what I think all the time because I want you to remain my friend. Uh, so we don't have this sort of integrity, but what Jesus, what's happening with Jesus is everything you see, everything you see him do, everything you hear him say is a truthful reflection of his real person, his heart, his mind, his soul. And he says this like this, I only do what the Father gives me to do, what the Father tells me to do, what the Father himself is doing. I'm always a perfect reflection of God the Father so that I can say truthfully, if you've seen me, you've seen him. There's a sort of integrity going on in the life of Jesus that is, quite frankly, uh, miraculous compared to every other human being. Uh, he is a whole person. That's what the word integrity means. One. Uh, <clears throat> interesting because typically you look at integrity as do what you say you're going to do, but in this mm -hmm. case, it goes beyond that. Do what you say you're going to do, but inside, feel yeah. right about that too. Because you can what you think, feel, uh, whatever we call a spiritual motive, uh, what you say, what you do, all those things are in Jesus in perfect concert. Like that old joke about the, the kid, his father says, sit down. And the kid sits down and he's like, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Well, Jesus never did that one time. Not one time. So, uh, now, the point of all this is to learn something about ourselves and how, how do we follow Jesus. Jesus' visible life, the image of God, is only a reflection of his spiritual life, his fellowship with the Father, which we would call the likeness of God. He walked, that's his outward life, by faith, that's his inward life. Our fellowship with God, the Father, is in the Son, by the Spirit. The heart of this relationship is trust. The inner life itself has an outward focus. This was true of Jesus. Jesus was not a navel-gazing philosopher. He wasn't wrapped up in himself. And this is key to understanding his life in perfect humanity. He was in full fellowship with the Father, and as a consequence, correct fellowship with everything and everyone else. So 
the key word here is fellowship. You know, we talk a lot around here about God. what Christ is doing is trying to open us up from our ingrown soul, from our self-orientation, uh, from our self-revolution. We revolve around ourselves. Uh, this is the life of the flesh. This is what happened to Adam when he fell from fellowship with God. He also broke his relationship with Eve. They govern with our fellow. They govern our relationship to God, and the remainder govern our relationship to humanity. This is also reflected in Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments. What's the most important commandment? <laughs> the most important commandment is love the Lord your God. The second one is like it. There's nothing we can do about that, guys. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The interesting thing is, you don't get one right, you don't get two. If, no here, here's one way I sort out this question. If I know the most important thing I can do, why do I need to know the second most important thing I can do? In other words... I certainly wouldn't stop doing the first most important thing in order to do the second most important thing. And one of the, one of the things this tells me is the second most important thing is included in the category of the first. In other words, loving God, part of loving God is loving you. And John says this in 1 John, if you go around saying you love God and you don't love your brother, well, you're kidding somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you, will end up sufferings. you can't do one without the other. No, but it goes to what you said, that, that he, he was outward focused. What the scripture teaches us is that full humanity is outwardly directed. It is not thinking about myself. Exactly. And this is avoiding the opposite danger from the sort of example moralism we talked about, which is a, which is a sort of overbearing pietism, which is entirely focused on the inner life. Well, a Christianity that's entirely focused on the inner life is selfish. By definition, it is also entirely missing the point of Christ, but in the opposite direction. If I say, well, I just need to behave like Jesus behaved, then I become a moralist. I'm a Pharisee through and through. I, I'm completely, I just follow what the Bible tells me to do. I just do, do, do. And, uh, well, you know, a person doesn't need to know Jesus to do that. There's plenty of good moral people out there in the world that are just as good as any Christian that don't know Jesus 
from anyone else. <laughs> and by the way, there's not a single Christian in the whole world that is actually pulling off what would Jesus do? And the second way we fail is to go the other way. And basically, our Christianity, our Christian growth is defined in terms of our devotional life. Do we read our Bible? Do we pray? Do we, well, now we've just got another set of activities that are just inwardly directed. Now, the solution is not to toss out any of those two options, but to be sure to include both. And the key is trust. This is what Jesus himself says throughout the book of John. I rely on the Father. I follow the Father. I trust the Father. The Father is the Father. And and John earlier in the book says the Father gives to Jesus, gives the Spirit without measure, without limit. So what Jesus does is trust in the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have the Trinity all wrapped up in this from the very beginning. Now, so I think we're going to have two more lessons because we're not getting through this today. How to be human then is about thinking about new life in the Son and by the Spirit. This is likeness, trusting in God, in Christ. How does anyone do that? How does anyone trust the Father in the Son? Only by the Spirit. Spirit gives faith. Spirit uh, generates faith in the heart of the Christian. Apart from the work of the Spirit, no one comes to Christ. Uh, so, in the very beginning, we have our new life is in Christ by the Spirit. And so we are restored to fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. And out of that, we live in correct fellowship with everyone and everything else. This is just exactly what Jesus did. It includes the whole person. Uh, And what we have in the remainder of this lesson, and I I think maybe we should just stop here. What we have in the remainder of this lesson is is just five observations about what's involved in this new life, in this likeness and image life. Uh, We start in Romans 12, where Paul says, okay, we've got the gospel now that I've elaborated in the book of Romans all the way up to this point. We have that down. So then, what? The good news of God's grace in Christ. And then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, in other words, remembering all we've said up to this point in the book of Romans, in view of this amazing grace in which we stand, in in view of the love of God demonstrated on the cross, in view of the righteousness of God vindicated by the cross, in view of our justification by faith and 
our reconciliation by faith on the basis of that justification um, you, uh, and therefore the standing we have in the very presence of God uh, that this is all in the first part of Romans and I'm leaving a lot out it's just pile upon pile of see what God has done for us in Christ then he says so then in view of all that in view of God's mercy what? What is the correct response? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the correct response. (laughs) A living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is the only logical thing you could do under these circumstances. Your reasonable service of worship. Then there's another thing you should do. Be transformed. Here's this annoying thing about the Greek language. It allows you to have passive imperatives. Sorry, that's a grammar grammar, uh, clue. A passive imperative is something that you must do that you don't do. (laughs) Be transformed. It does not say transform yourself. It is is an imperative. It's a commandment. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Are you the one doing the work of transforming? No. But you are required to be transformed. So, uh, (laughs) Obviously, this means submit yourself to some transformative process or person and, you know, be transformed. So both of these commandments are give yourself. In other words, do what Jesus did, which is belong to the Father. Belong to God. This is a question of who you belong to. Both of these issues. This is a question of who you belong to. Who you belong to is who you trust. The issue in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is faith. Trust God is the short version of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Trust God. And he will direct your paths. Because the conclusion of Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, so then you'll be able to discern what is God's will. And God's will will become perfect and appealing to you because you are transformed. What appeals to you is not what used to appeal to you. You are becoming a person of integrity. Uh, And so you are able to walk according to the will of God because you've submitted yourself to, oh, that's just exactly what Jesus did. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't have to to stop and wonder what Jesus would do now, what Jesus would do or what I should do in this situation 
starts to become clearer and clearer. We really do have to stop. But <clears throat> that's just the beginning. And we're going to go through all of these. Born, in, born of the Spirit to walk in newness of life. See the glory of God in Christ. Know the love of God in Christ. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son from Romans 8. And then finally, we're going to talk about how this is not a individual project. There's a reason we're sitting in a room together thinking about these things and not each of us sitting in a room by ourselves thinking about these things. And the new man of the New Testament is not me and you and each of us. The new man of the New Testament is the church, the body of Christ. And uh, obviously that involves all of us. But our fellowship with the living God, a triune God in which there is an eternal fellowship. (laughs) Well, if we're going to live in the image of that God in which there is an eternal fellowship, clearly it's going to be a life of fellowship in which we are drawn into the fellowship of the Trinity and into the right sort of loving fellowship with each other and the right sort of relationship to the rest of creation. So uh, these things all sort of unravel from this simple observation, what is humanity in Jesus? And so we follow him. And we find ourselves following him, attending to to both our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships. The priority on the vertical. If if we but not if I it is possible to become so heavenly minded I'm no earthly good. To be so focused on my devotional life, whatever that might mean, that I don't care about the people around me. And the Bible is quite clear. You can't go around saying you love God if you're not loving your brother. Uh, That's inconsistent. That's a lack of integrity. Yeah. Right. And of course, if Jesus or the eternal Son of God had adopted the pietistic method, he'd have never shown up on earth. He can remain devoted to the Father in heaven forever and ever and always has been. And here's the thing if this this leads to sort of an answer to the question why did God make anything? He's absolutely satisfied in the fellowship of the Trinity. But the fellowship of the Trinity is a fellowship that extends and overflows. And so he makes other creatures with whom he has fellowship. Not because he needs more fellowship, but because he loves more fellowship. 
he, he extends it, he broadens it, he includes us in it even. All right, well, we can, we can quit now. <laughs> it's just who he is, right? It's just who he is. It's just who he is, right. Uh, yeah, but we shouldn't think of God as needing us like he was somehow deficient before he made us. Well, uh, I always ask if there's any questions or comments before we say a closing prayer. But. Well, I think uh, made, to, to be made in his image and his likeness is also um, yeah, reflected in, in who we are. If, if mm-hmm. we, are, we are creative beings, God is a creative mm-hmm. being. We like right. to create. Uh, right. You're an engineer? Well, you cannot... Your, your, your engineering skills, you haven't you have from God, because yeah. there is no better engineer who has designed life and, and the complexity of everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you have nothing to do, you, you just want to do something, you want to, to make something, you want, you want to make something right. work. If you're an artist, you want to create. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah I, and it's reflected in uh, it's a, it, this reality, I think, is also reflected in, in lots of different aspects of just ordinary human life, uh, including that creative impulse, including, uh, I think, things like sport or music or any skilled activity or any or even in our simple enjoyment of uh, one another or the creation around us uh, yeah and and uh, in my mind m- much of that cannot uh, a sort of materialistic view of reality can't account for these things our moral nature our artistic nature our creative nature our organizing nature our uh, you know our spiritual nature which nearly everyone recognizes but you you know how does that flow from pure physics and chemistry well there's there's no good account for that in my mind uh, and the fact that we uh, and in also, in my mind, the fact that we are inherently relational is also a reflection. How do you... To me, this rules out the Muslim God who's a monolith. Well, or unless he's in it. He's whatever he wants to be on any given day. But the... So he's not always angry. Sometimes he's forgiving, and you better hope that whenever you show up in front of him, it's a forgiving day. Yeah. But the, but the, but the, the point is the, the God that is God is eternally in relation to others, in other persons in one God. And so there's an account for this, you know, why do ants live in colonies? Why do human beings need uh, mates? Why, you know, why do we organize societies? And why aren't we all living in a cabin in, the, in isolation someplace? All, 
we are in, we cannot help it. We all need love. Nobody even argues about this. Uh, And uh, yeah, to me, uh, a materialistic view of the world can't account for all this stuff. We are way more than prey animals. (laughs) I'm sorry? We are much more much more than praying animals. <laughs> well, I think if you say if you say we're praying animals, yeah. that unfolds into everything else. That that's kind of he's trying to get at the what's the kernel of the idea of the image of God. What's the the very essence of that? And that is we're the we're the creatures. And by the way, the conversation is in the context of What's the difference between me and a sophisticated gorilla? Uh, And the difference is, I'm made in a relation to God that the gorilla simply doesn't have. Not built to have, not ever supposed to have. And uh, I can try to locate that in a lot of other ways, which might break down depending on what we find out about the gorilla. (laughs) Gorillas, it turns out, can use language. So we can't say, well, the image of God is the ability to reason and use language. Uh, we can train animals to do those things, but you you, you can't train an animal to pray. Is it Proverbs or Psalm that says God has put eternity in the heart of man? Yeah. That's the same. We're made in this unique likeness. The word of the Bible word for this is likeness this unique relation to God that uh, is intended to be reflected in relation to everything else around us. Uh, As only so, Jesus did properly. So far. 100%. <laughs> so far. That's great. And one other thing, one way you can read that statement in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, is it's literally the first messianic prophecy and it's a project still in progress in the rest of us. I mean, God, we know before God said that, that he intended for Adam to fail because before he made anything, he intended to redeem fallen humanity. So it wasn't... Adam sinning was not a surprise to God. It was in the plan. And so how does God get from Genesis 1, 27, let us make man in our image, to Revelation 21? The whole story. The whole story. Yeah. All right, we got to quit. Father, thanks for uh, this chance to have this fellowship that we enjoy. Lord, we... uh, We pray for the world around us. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us uh, figure out how to cope with all these things that are happening in the world, this disease, the turmoil. Father, help us as your people to live in these times as your people to reflect your love and grace, whatever happens around us. 
And uh, Lord, we pray for the fellowship of our church, that it would grow, that it would be ever deeper in uh, faith, in looking to you in every situation. And so uh, more and more able to reflect your love and grace to each other and the world around us. We, uh, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.